we're kind of in this interesting space where we are very clearly and very boldly addressing my mortality and your mortality with our product. It's something that people can actually like quantify and it becomes this like very kind of easy, gentle, but pretty straightforward connection point and way for people to talk about their mortality. Hello, friends. You're listening to the Let's Give a Damn podcast, your source of inspiration and motivation to live a life full of giving a damn about the people, places, and things around you. I'm your host and friend, Nick Lapara. I'm so pumped that you're here. My guest today is Courtney Gusick, and we're going to talk about death, about dying well, and about caskets that honor the environment and the earth. Death is a conversation most people avoid at all costs. I kind of get it, but I don't understand why, really. It's one of the few things that we have in common and one of the few things that all of us are going to experience in one way or another. If you listen to me speak for any length of time, you know that the conversation around death and legacy are huge for me. It's the reason why I do this podcast, because of legacy. I think about death all the time, probably every day. It keeps me focused, sober, ambitious, and full of passion. You see, I'm a huge fan of the ancient practice that dates all the way back to Socrates called memento mori, a Latin term for remember death or remember that you will die. It's the ancient practice of intentionally reflecting on our mortality, running our ideas, our ambitions, our desires, disciplines, and really everything we do in life through the filter, through the grid of I'm going to die, that's for sure. All this to say, the conversation around death and dying well is an important conversation to have, and we're gonna do a little bit of that today. We're not, this isn't super extensive, but we engage it, I think, pretty well in this conversation. Courtney is a passionate, ambitious woman who is tackling an issue and a product that very few people talk about, and she does it so well. I hope you'll enjoy my conversation with Courtney. Let's get right into it. Thank you so much, Courtney, for joining me on the podcast today. I'm so excited you're here. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah. So you are my first guest from Hawaii. Whoop, whoop. And I'm so excited for that because I think most of us here on the mainland, you call us the mainland. What do you call What do you call here? The continental United States. I'm really glad you asked. So the purest among us, aka Native Hawaiians, wouldn't dare call it the mainland because that's a right, you're, the primary yeah. and we're the secondary. And why would that be? The average person here, which would be not representative of Native Hawaiians, calls it the mainland. Got it. Yeah, that makes sense. Some Hawaiians I know will just refer to it as America anytime they're <laughs> making reference. How do you feel about that? Yeah, what's your... Because you're not from there. Uh, I'm from... My dad's family's from here. And my mom's family is from the Bay Area. Let's do this. Let's give people some context. I forget some of the details from when we talked on the phone, you know, a month or so ago. So, hey, everybody, this is going to be a great episode because we're going to talk about death. We're going to talk about, yeah, the end of life and the afterlife and how the part that Courtney and her company, the part they play in that. So this is going to be fun. But before we get to that, why don't you give us some context? Give me the story. Give me some clues into the people, places, and things that made you who you are today. Go back as far as you want to go and kind of lead up to the present time, but pre the caskets and the, you know, just 
talking about and thinking about death and the afterlife and how to do this well, how to get buried well. So bring us up to right before that point. Okay. I am an ever punctual human being because I was born on my due date, right on May 5th, just as they had predicted. Uh, it was fast and furious. I was told that I knew exactly what I wanted when I came out. <laughs> <laughs> and do you agree with everyone that told you that? Um, 97% of them, yes, with the general population. So ever punctual, I come from a family, um, a mixed family or hapa family, if you will, in Hawaii. It's referred to as hapa, which technically means half-half, but is more a reference to people of blended ethnicities. My family is native Hawaiian, Chilean, Croatian, German, and some sprinkle, sprinkle other European countries in there that I'm less aware of, but identify most strongly um, with Hawaii for sure. And the culture and my family here and the people. I lived when I was young in Oregon and have lived since in South Korea, South America, Tonga, and the East Coast, the West Coast, and back here. So I've been back and forth for about 18 years between here and elsewhere. What's the story behind uh, South Korea, South America, Tonga? Yeah, what's the story behind those countries? Well, aside from my affinity for the Southern Hemisphere and countries of yes. the South, <laughs> um, I actually went for various um, to volunteer and participate with various socioeconomic development projects. And they sort of varied from country to country and place to place, just kind of depending on the um, specific needs and interests and wants of those communities. So it was everything from actually building like simple physical structures that were needed in the community that ended up being um, identified as kind of major barriers for just like really fluid community development. Because it boiled down to not having a single succinct place where people felt safe, where they could meet where they had shelter from the weather um, and oftentimes electricity. So it's just sort of a central meeting place to eliminate the um, just kind of physical barriers of that, of those particular needs for growth and development in that community. And we also did a series of different like children's virtue development programs. And those were sort of carried out and exercised and, very, very different ways, again, depending on what country or what state or what language or what needs um, of the people. And that was absolutely incredible and amazing. Um, a portion of that was also with a performing arts and dance group, um, where we mostly addressed um, kind of more universal social issues um, through the arts and through dance, which was absolutely amazing. So yeah, the, the common theme being come into a place, um, however, as an outsider and listen to the people in the communities, the families there, and listen to them tell you what they need and what they want, and then figure out how we can all blend our resources together for some sort of outcome or output or um, program, et cetera. That's a kind of diverse, like you said, you pointed out, like it's a diverse set of things, but they all had a unifying you know, themes. What years were you in Oregon? And was it in Portland? Is that where you were? It was just outside of Portland in a more rural area. Yeah. Okay. A, did you enjoy that? Because we spent the first two minutes talking about the weather um, and, <laughs> and, and, and Portland 
is my kind of weather, but definitely doesn't seem like your kind of weather. Maybe you grew into your current, you know, love for Hawaiian weather. How did, yeah, how did you survive that? And how long did that season of life last? Well, survive is exactly the right word. Um, <laughs> I chose it. I chose it carefully. I, I know. I know. I know how. To- uh, it was definitely a survival. Um, being a child and not having the agency or resources to move elsewhere, I endured it. It was very difficult. Um, I like to say my people were not designed for the cold, but all people are my people. So that statement is not very true. However. I appreciate going back and visiting Portland for short spells, but um, definitely always found my happiest, most comfortable medium here in Hawaii. Got it. For those of you listening, a month or so ago, Courtney and I got on FaceTime together, and it was already a cold autumn day in Tennessee, and um, she answers the call in (laughs) clear blue skies, tank top, palm trees in the background, like plants everywhere. And she, like for the 45 minutes we talked, she just was like munching on mango slices the whole time. <laughs> like it could not have been more of a quintessential, like, like Hawaii phone call. Like if you would have told me what, what is she going to be doing? What's it going to look like? I couldn't have painted a more perfect picture. So. Well, I like your word choice. Quintessential is better. I just call it walking cliche, but yeah, I like yours more. But you're, you're rocking it, you know? I mean, if you're gonna, if you're gonna be there, embrace it, embrace the quintessential and like, you're living it up there. I love that. Okay. So that's your story growing up. How, how did you go from all of those things, all those experiences, traveling around the world, being in places you didn't necessarily love, all of that to, what was the transition to caring about, like, what I find so fascinating is that no one's, no one's addressing, no one's talking about, when I say no one. Very few people are talking about the things that you're talking about, the the stuff that you like to talk about and address. And even if they are, nobody's going a step further to make caskets, to not just have the conversation, but then say, you know what, I'm going to do something about it. And I want to create, like, there's so much symbolism in what you do. And I want you to communicate that here in a minute. There's so much symbolism, so much storytelling going on. It just, it, it, this wasn't a thrown together idea or brand or anything. So take me through traveling the world here, there, and everywhere to, um, do you, is it just pahiki? Is that what it is? Pahiki, yes. Pahiki uh, caskets. Take me through there to when this started and how it started and why it started. So the examples I was giving earlier of living in different countries and states and places, the main appeal for me was I've always been very, very drawn to the kind of concepts and traditions or rituals or beliefs we have that are completely universal, though executed in very diverse ways in the world. So I'm always looking for in any situation, what are the most common themes I share with this person? Because no doubt, no doubt, no matter where you go, no matter who you're sitting next to, no matter which country you're in, there are these just very strong common threads and themes that are sort of woven throughout all of us. So because I've always been so attracted to finding those and seeing those, I'm parlaying that now into my kind of experience with death and dying. So my dad passed away seven years ago now, and he was in Oregon at the time. And we had actually had him at home with us. He was terminally ill with pancreatic cancer. And I have three sisters. So the four of us sort of descended on our parents' home again as adult children living under the same roof again. 
which was incredibly multifaceted, fun, exciting, trying. <laughs> it, it was all of these sibling dynamics, but with like slightly taller and older characters <laughs> and slightly more mature. However, only slightly sometimes. My dad was ill and he was given about a four to six month prognosis, um, which he actually ended up living for five of those months. So once we returned home to our parents' house, it was very clear at the outset that this was the end. We weren't sure exactly which day would be the end necessarily, of course, but understanding that this was the end and sort of, sort of without any conversation, unanimously sort of tracking towards this idea of having a home funeral. We already had decided to keep him at home with us and have him pass there and to take care of him, you know, in whatever capacity we were able, everything shy of administering medicine to him. So because we had, as a family, decided to have a home funeral for him, um, what that entails, I mean, it's different from person to person and family to family, but what it generally entails is a family or a community or a group of people assuming the privilege and responsibility of caring for the dying person and then caring for the kind of logistics and steps and things that follow, like passing in the home, washing and preparing the body, um, oftentimes transporting the body to the burial place. For some families, it's actually digging the grave. Just any sort of... Um, Anything from the like intimate to the pragmatic that people need to carry out in that situation is oftentimes assumed by, again, the families or communities in the situations. So we decided this is what we want to do with our dad. And in addition to that, we were thinking, you know, this, this man was incredibly devoted, not just to our family, but to the earth, to conservation, to leaving a light touch, to being thoughtful environmental stewards, to... You know, it was just woven throughout our entire lives. So when it came time to thinking about the actual physical structure that we would lay him to rest in, in a casket, uh, we just felt like it doesn't make any sense to us and is so inconsistent, especially with the way he lived his life, to bury him in something that was painted, it was sealed with lacquer, it was metal clad all the way around, it was hermetically sealed with, you know, a rubber seal around the top. So either he couldn't get out or something else couldn't get yeah. in. <laughs> we're not sure what exactly they were solving for there. But in the end, it was just completely diametrically opposed to who he was and who we were as a family and how we kind of saw that legacy. Essentially, we were leaving. Burying him was leaving a legacy on his behalf. So whatever we did in that final gesture for him and to him and with him, we were actually doing to the earth as an extension of that we were doing to two, three, four generations from now, the people who are going to physically live in the earth with either the neutral privilege or the consequence of whatever we had left behind um, in burial. So we had him not embalmed. We had found a man in Oregon who made very, very beautiful, just simple, plain pine caskets, not finished, no metal, no lacquer, no nothing. Um, just use simple doweling and joinery. So we had ordered the casket, had it sent to our home. We showed it to my dad and he loved it. Um, we also took some photos of the resting place we chose for him in a meadow, which was just actually an old pioneer cemetery. And it's just this untamed sort of literally free space. You can go and just sort of put a stake in the ground and stake your claim to the earth and bury someone there. 
So we had him taken to that resting place. And so to rewind and then fast forward, what I realized very, very quickly in that experience with him was how drawn I was to death and dying into that space and how natural and familiar it felt to me. And beyond that, how it just sort of, this sort of missing piece of the puzzle clicked in my mind. Of course, I'm drawn to this thing. I'm drawn to this thing into this space into this experience for the very same reasons I was drawn to all those other countries and places and communities because death is the most timeless universal indiscriminate thing that happens to every single thing on earth every human every plant every animal every single thing that ever lives eventually dies to me it just felt like it's the most humanizing thing that I can think of to imagine my mortal life and the mortality of other people actually humanizes people more in my mind. And among the many, many theories, thoughts, and observations I have about society in the world, I have this very strong feeling that if you just look at the state of the world today, like irrespective of any political belief, any religious belief, any, any anything, let's say in a perfect world, they're able to put that aside. I honestly think that one of the reasons that we're in such a inhumane existence and experience in so many ways in places and countries with people is because we don't talk about our own mortality. We don't talk about that thing that makes us completely one and unified and common to each other. And because of that, it's very easy to dehumanize other people when you're not even considering your own mortality and your humanity in that way. Um, not to get too tangential there. But no, no, I think that's incredibly spot on. And this is incredibly important. You're I think you're totally right. This whole conversation about death should be something that happens naturally, and often. Uh, and not with for me, it's, we're living proof that you can have this conversation without it feeling like hopeless. And like, there's no morbidness here. There's no hopelessness here. It's just a reality. Like you said, everything, every organism, every plant, every animal, every human, every everything. I mean, stars die, like everything dies. And yet it's something that we're so scared to think about, to talk about. And as a result, we end up living, I think most, lots of people, I don't know, I don't know if I can say most, but lots of people end up living less than effective lives, less than meaningful lives, because they never addressed the one thing that they always tried to avoid, right? So in, in the avoiding talk about death, they actually met it a lot quicker or not, maybe not in, in a number of days, but they didn't do anything with their lives. So all of a sudden they were at the end and it's like, what, okay, what was that about? What did I do? What did I, what, what was my life about? And boom, then they're gone. There's no legacy. There's no, there's nothing. Yeah, exactly. And you know, what exacerbates that whole sad reality when we don't face that is that it seems like, so in Hawaii, um, our precious beloved animal is the monk seal. So instead of the elephant, I always replace it and call it the monk seal in the room. <laughs> But <laughs> I like that. I'm going to start doing that. I'm just going to grab that. People won't even know what that's about. The monk seal. Got it. Um, the monk seal in the room and how, how much energy we spend and how much tension and sort of a low grade hum of anxiety there is in everyone knowing that at any moment that it could be your last moment and just realizing that, I mean, it's, a, it is the huge monk seal in the room and how much more of a relief is it when people can just 
talk about and discuss. And, you know, even if you're just talking about the pragmatic aspects of your own mortality of like, this is how I want to be buried. This is what I want and don't want. You know, if you need to approach it even from a practical aspect or dimension, that's one thing, but any sort of conversation. And I don't think we understand yet how liberating and relaxing it is to actually have these conversations out loud. 100% agreed. So how have you in your own personal life since, you know, seven years ago leading up to now, do you feel like you've been able to have more conversations to people around you because of you kind of pushing on this and, and, you know, maybe it's uncomfortable for a little bit, but it's really not when people find out how liberating, like you just said, liberating is, do you feel like people are more, you're seeing some change in, at least in your sphere of influence about this conversation? Yeah, absolutely. And I think for me in particular, I'll just do a quick little bridge jump from yeah. the story of my dad to Pahiki Caskets yes. to answer your question you just asked. Um, so after that experience with my dad, um, number one, it was incredibly, incredibly intimate to have, you know, not just this casket sent to our home and have us, you know, selected ourselves and just show it to him before his passing and sort of get his approval for it. But it was also economically liberating for our family. It was extremely affordable. It was made with incredible care and devotion. It was very clear when it arrived at our house. Um, and it was, it was so freeing to know that the last sort of physical, practical thing we needed to do for my dad was accessible and within reach to us because it was so affordable. Um, and then on top of all of that, knowing that it was made of completely earth neutral materials. So it was just like a win, 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 win for the family. I had it in my mind seven years ago when I sort of woke up to this realization that this death and dying space really is my jam and it absolutely is my space. Uh, I had it in my mind, oh, you know, we have all of this scrap junk deconstruction lumber in places, you know, reclaimed wood from arborists that are sent to these sawmills instead of chippers and, you know, transformed into viable lumber, et cetera. You know, all these different channels and tracks we have of, um, of wood in our society that otherwise gets scrapped. So I had it in my mind, you know, what if I started an affordable line of caskets made completely of either reclaimed or reused wood? Um, you know, same principles and concepts as the one we bought for my dad. No metal, no lacquer, no paint, no nothing that Mother Earth couldn't happily ingest and digest. So a few years ago, I had it in mind that, you know, one of these days coming up when rents weren't so cost prohibitive and materials weren't so cost prohibitive that I would actually start prototyping and see, you know, if starting a line of eco-friendly caskets that were affordable and accessible to people could actually have a life of its own. Um, so about three years ago, when I had this in mind, I woke up one morning thinking about my dad's casket and how beautiful it was and how simple and plain it was and thought, oh, that was kind of a missed opportunity. What if we had fixed something around the whole perimeter, around the external perimeter of the casket that's also biodegradable? And so I thought of linen. What if we took linen, made little loops, and fixed them all around the outside, you know, in a line of the casket, and then just filled them with fresh flowers and plants and foliage at the funeral? And on top of that, what if you just had a bunch of vases at a funeral, and every person who goes up to pay their respects to the family or to the person, etc., takes, you know, one or two flowers and foliage out of these vases and puts them into the loops. So by the end of the service, 
the whole thing is like a lush garden and it's populated and representative of, you know, if the people in your life, if not just the people who are able to attend the funeral, beautiful either way. So sort of kept that in mind and sort of felt like, oh, how amazing. What if we had a way to re-engage touch in the death and dying space in a way that was simple and lightweight and beautiful for people? So we've sort of lost the sense of touch. You know, we were sort of trained in our society when someone passes to think of it as a dead body, you know, something that's off limits, you don't touch, it's unclean, it's scary, it's crass, it's all of these things. So I was thinking, what would be a like a, a lightweight way to help people re-engage touch without traumatizing them? And thought, okay, they can pick up a flower and put it in these loops, um, you know, and sort of collaboratively beautify this thing. So again, had this idea still living in a cost prohibitive space and place in my life. And then earlier this year, about seven months ago, I finally decided, uh, moved back to Hawaii. I finally decided this was my time. This was my opportunity. This is my window. So I rallied some nice little amounts of funds. Um, I had about, I would say 40% of ish of the chops I needed to actually build out a casket. Um, that would hopefully hold a body. And so I purchased a bunch of tools, watched several hours of YouTube, which I don't usually admit to people, but I guess I'm doing that here. It's 2017. You can get a full education on that thing now. <laughs> and I wish that's the only university I would have gone to and yeah. saved off my student loans. But so I bought these tools, taught myself, prototyped away for about six weeks, came up with a viable um, product that actually completely held a human body, uh, a lovely friend or group of friends who were willing to try to um, stress test it with me. Prototyped, ended up being able to work with one of my longest time closest friends who's here and their sort of universe just allowed for the timing for him to be able to work with me and me with him. Um, we were able to get more funds after that and then another round of funds after that and I've sort of come to this very stable place now where we have um, pahiki eco-caskets in Hawaii. So this idea that I had seven years ago and then sort of revived three years ago and then rewind to seven months ago started taking on a life of its own. And while it's still very young um, in its actual execution, it has been growing in these beautiful, amazing ways and just like being woven and stretched and integrated into so many other types of like-minded community organizations and opportunities keep arising for partnerships. And it's been this absolutely beautiful, incredible opportunity to build something with the love and devotion that the man who built my dad's casket in Oregon clearly put into it, um, to work with an incredibly close longtime friend, to be supported you know emotionally and financially by so many wonderful friends in our community um, and to have this little baby casket company that's growing hopefully into this toddler that is a great human and everyone loves <laughs> there you go what's the feedback been like so you're talking with um, you obviously to have a business you have to sell stuff so hopefully people are buying these and um, you're getting stories back like what's the conversation around Pahiki and what you're doing, like both 
to your face or maybe you've read some stuff or whatever the feedback what's it been like as they actually experience your product and you know putting their loved one in it and the whole process of bearing them in this just way more responsible and human and you know like you said touch way what's yeah what's been the feedback like um, well it's actually been absolutely amazing I think my lucky stars for that I always have this slight moment of hesitation of like what if we didn't stress test the handle well enough? And we're in that next story, you know, in the news where <laughs> oh gosh, it, yeah. break, it breaks mid funeral. I mean, we're, we're certainly um, responsible at every stage, you know, to ensure that it has a lot of structural integrity to it, but the response has been amazing and just more than I ever could have expected. You know, people have, um, had unfortunately quite a few negative experiences with traditional funeral homes and that being a $20 billion a year industry and business, you know, it's got some very tried and true, which is kind of just a euphemism for me for antiquated practices um, and offerings that they have. And people have felt, you know, every manner of burned, taken advantage of it's impersonal. I got taken to the cleaners by so-and-so and this place and that place. And, you know, people have given very pointed, very specific um, negative feedback about certain places and companies here, which I don't ever reshare by name, but all to say that we've had some very incredibly grateful, relieved, happy people purchase caskets from us who have said, you know, I'm so grateful that I have this opportunity. I had this bad experience elsewhere. And now going forward, I know this is like a really great viable local resource. Um and love what it stands for. And, you know, very happy that we're able to integrate this into this experience, which has been wonderful. And to, to really quickly jump back, as I promised to bridge your earlier question with my later statement. Oh, sure. Yeah. The conversations around death and dying, because we have, we're kind of in this interesting space where we are very clearly and very boldly addressing my mortality and your mortality with our product. It's still, we still have the medium and buffer of a product. So it's interesting. It's it's something that people can actually like quantify, and they can sink their teeth into, and it becomes this like um, very kind of easy, gentle, but pretty straightforward connection point and way for people to talk about their mortality. And and while I could sit and talk till the cows come home about all of the like esoteric and you know history and really you know all the different aspects of it, I completely respect and love and appreciate that even or odd whatever brings people into this conversation I'm really grateful that I have this medium because you know while people will sit there and you know crunch the numbers and the time frame and the delivery dates etc what they're really doing is acknowledging mortality and I'm so excited and happy that I get to be a part of that conversation with anyone I don't care who it is I don't care how old they are young they are with our life experiences, then I'm just, sounds odd, but so excited that I get to engage with people in this way. Yeah. One of the fascinating things is that the the heart behind what you're doing isn't just, it doesn't actually stop with the death and caskets conversation, right? The same conversation can be had about food and recycling and clothing and so many decisions we make where we're just so thoughtless about how we live life, about how why we eat what we eat, why we buy the clothes that we buy, 
all the way down the line to why do we, uh, one of the most powerful events of our life is our death. It's the conclusion of this, this, you know, hopefully long and happy and fruitful and giving back to people kind of life. And yet we just treat it with so little care, um, right down to this very toxic box that we're putting in the ground. And you, you said it before, like, you know, we directly won't see the effect of that, of putting something that's covered in paint and lacquer and all these just bad things right into the ground, but our kids will, and their kids will. And, and how many, I don't know the numbers you might, how many tens of thousands of these are put, being put in the ground all the time. And that's going into our soil. And we're, we we want to grow plants and trees and build stuff on top of this ground. And, um, it's unhealthy. We're not being good stewards of the earth that we've been given, right? Absolutely. That's absolutely right. Yeah. And so it goes for caskets. It goes for food. It goes for recycling. It goes for clothing. So many people just thoughtlessly and haphazardly exist on the earth without thinking, oh, this affects so much more than me. And I'm kind of being a dick for not yeah. like, for not, <laughs> for not thinking twice or three times about that shirt that I just bought, which was made by some nine-year-old in Malaysia versus one that's thoughtfully produced by someone who's being paid a living wage in, you know, another developing country or in Malaysia or the food that we eat that's just full of, you know, the McDonald's French fry has 13 ingredients last time I checked. How does a potato have 13 ingredients in it? But it does and we just just consume this stuff, right? And so I just love that we can take this conversation, right? And ours today is about death and caskets and the end of life and how do we do that well. But we can talk for forever about how how this conversation needs to must be taken out of just the death conversation and taken into other conversations with our neighbors and with our kids and all those things. You know, we're my family and I are this is our choice. I'm not judging anybody. We're vegetarian, almost vegan. We're trying to keep continue cutting things out. And that's a personal choice we've made, but we're we're doing it thoughtfully with our kids. Our kids know why. It's not just like, oh, we don't ew, look at those people over there eating meat. We're not like them. It's not that. It's no, we can care for the earth better. We believe this is one of the ways that we're going to get to care for the earth by not eating meat, by not eating dairy, by not eating these things. And that, again, that just plays into so many different parts of our lives. So I love that you're, gosh, I love that this conversation is happening for sure. Um, one other quick thing you had just said before, you know, how thoughtlessly we can live our lives, whether it's, you know, at times yeah. and phases or just for some people, maybe every day, unfortunately. But what's actually I found equally alarming is the people who, I'm just going to use you as an example, not that sure. you do this or you will do this. So you just stated a few very conscientious um, decisions, behaviors, you know, focal points for your family, which is amazing. One of the things that's so alarming to me is it isn't necessarily the people who are obviously sleepwalking. It's even the people who are awake like you who have these have your eyes open and you're really trying to do these things and you really are doing these things and achieving these things. But the type of person like you who does these things is actually oftentimes still and even the same people who don't spell out their death and dying wishes in great detail, detailing what they do and don't want done to the earth on their behalf, saying, I do not want to be embalmed. I do not this and that. So it's like, it's interesting because you know, while we're here and while we have these things that differentiate our behaviors day to day, one to the next, we're actually 
by and large, doing a similar thing in the end. So one thing that we really, really try to do on with Pahiki and our, our community that we're building is in the education component, just continually remind people and ask people and generate conversations about what are some of the eco-conscious behaviors you have in your life? Like you just named a few. Uh, and just really asking people and imploring people essentially to think about continuity and your behaviors in life and the way you plan for your death and to be very conscientious about that continuity and to think that I might live 50 years and do all these incredible things for the earth and then go be buried in the end in this incredibly toxic casket. So it's like driving your electric car for you know, 30 years and then being buried in a Ford truck in your backyard. So it's like the, you know, having these conversations and really encouraging people to be explicit about their wishes and to be thoughtful, you know, go, don't take my word for it, go do the research, all of us for ourselves, you know, see things through your own eyes, independently investigate what these truths are and what they mean to you. And then go sit down in a nice quiet place or a crowded coffee shop if you need the distraction. And Write out after you've really thought through these things. This is what I want done with my body. Um, you know, you don't have to say it's on behalf of the earth. You don't need to be a hippie about it or be a hippie about it, maybe, <laughs> you know, and, and be explicit. That's so true. Even the wokest of, to use yes. that word, yes. even the wokest of person is not thinking about this. That's the, that's why, that's why we're talking about it. And that's why I want to join the podcast is, yeah, you use me as an example. And that's a good example because we buy ethical clothing. We recycle, we eat organic food, and we're vegan or vegetarian, almost vegan. We're doing all this stuff, right? But if I died today on the way home, I have not prepared my family for that. My wife would uh, talk with life insurance companies. She would, you know, contact the local funeral home, and we would. She would. She would go pick out a casket and all that stuff. And I wouldn't blame her one bit because that's just what we've been trained to do. Here are the steps, you know. Everybody would come around her and say, here's, okay, what cemetery now? What this, what that? In that conversation, because death is such a traumatic and dramatic thing, nobody would think twice about it. And they would just be thinking about the, the, how, do we, how do we do these things? Not what in the hell is actually happening right now? What are we doing, doing this piece of ground for the next set of generations? Yeah, that's fantastic. Okay, here's a question. Who else do you know is having this conversation in the way that you are? Obviously, death is a common conversation in, in psychology and in theology and so on and so forth, right? You can just YouTube a number of a number of thousands of videos. But is anyone else having it in the way that you are? And who else is doing this with the caskets? Obviously, seven years ago, the guy in you know Oregon was making it, right? But I don't know if was he doing it because of the same reasons you're doing it? You're obviously doing it with a with a next level of with a higher level of intention, right? Because his was you even noticed like the ways that you saw the missed opportunities, like we didn't have the loops for people to put stuff in and all of that stuff. So, is anyone else doing this? This is not just my ego, but I want to say no with a long trailing O and a question mark. Sure. Um, <laughs> I, you know, none that I'm aware of, honestly, uh, certainly not in Hawaii. I'm hard pressed to find something so similar elsewhere because what we actually call what we do in terms of the like education plus like physical product component is, I mean, I don't know, tagline. It sounds like a cheap word, but if we had a tagline, our tagline is environmental stewardship and death care. You know, I don't, I don't necessarily do Google searches by that term because it's, it's not really like 
the hottest thing. And I'm pretty sure people aren't hashtagging that anywhere except for me. <laughs> but, um, I, you know, I haven't, I have found some very awake, very wonderful, very like-minded for sure people. Nothing this explicit though, or sort of um, actionable. Uh, and anyone who hears this is absolutely free to reach out and correct me if I'm wrong. I'm certainly not trying to take any undue credit for something, but I am not aware of other forms of nouns that are doing this. I'm actually doing a Google search and there are some that are doing it, you know, like eco-friendly caskets and eco caskets and final footprint and others like that. But what I don't see, the difference I see is that you're like, okay, so they're making a eco-friendly casket. Cool. That I obviously thought was, you know, I assumed was out there, but like you said, the next level of intention, the, Hey, we want to actually, we want this to be so intentional for people, if we're not to be an afterthought for people to plan for this and we're going to help them, we're going to educate them, uh, to do so. Um, and so I love that. I love that about what you're doing. I love that about what you're doing, man. Um, so what's the dream? What do you, what do you, if you could snap your fingers, if you could make your wildest Pahiki caskets dream come true, what does that look like? My short-term vision for this and dream would be to have this be a very normal integrated offering in all funeral homes and in majority of people's minds when they're planning within the state of Hawaii first. I really want to um, grow and develop this to be very solid here first and foremost. Uh, one little side note is we also have a completely 100% local supply chain. So we actually source our wood from local arborists who are paid to cut trees down on Oahu. And instead of putting them through the chipper and spreading them on the forest floor, redirect the logs to a local sawmill who then transforms them into these viable lumber pieces for us to use. And we have a workshop actually in the sawmill. Um, and we have our person who makes the coconut oil we finish it with lives on Kauai. And we recently got some local beekeepers to give us their beeswax because we use it on the inside. So um, I'm really grateful and loving the idea of proving out to myself first and foremost that things can still grow and have integrity and they don't need to scale fast and far. And this doesn't need to be outsourced and manufactured elsewhere. And that we have plenty of resources at our disposal here to redirect and rethink the way we're using them to create beautiful, practical, meaningful products, whatever those are. Mine happens to be a casket, plenty of other things to do with it. Um, so I eventually want to, I don't know, to put it in just basic social terms, franchise the concept, having an education component, having a local supply chain component, and have it specific to whatever other states or locales, you know, want to buy and use the idea, um, you know, while agreeing to keep the supply chain within a reasonable radius, et cetera, et cetera, would vary again from place to place. But I would love to see the same concept of having local sawmills, you know, the redirection of resources, the reuse of resources, the rethinking of resources be scaled elsewhere throughout the states and to have that run in parallel with the education components of just a very normal, simple approach to thinking of documenting, you know, after being educated and educating yourself on the environmental impact of traditional burial, documenting your wishes in writing and ensuring that the people who will act on your behalf in the future 
can do so in a way that's environmentally friendly and consistent with your wishes and desires. That's an amazing vision and dream. And I hope, I really hope you get to accomplish that because I, I would love to see this on a much larger scale, helping people both prepare for death and then give them one of the most tangible items needed when someone dies, a casket. Um, I think super meaningful. And just imagine in, in all of the diverse areas, even in the States, think of all the different types of trees, for example, you know, hundreds of different types of caskets you can create, different styles, different one, you know, when, again, whatever, going back, back, back to my original comments about traveling and living elsewhere, you know, using local resources and then adapting them to whatever, like, the aesthetic or tradition or whatever it is for that area, even if it's just a small community, you know, in whatever state in the U.S. and sort of creating caskets that fit that place. You know, maybe it's a different shape. Maybe it's a different, whatever the thing is. Okay, last big question. Part of it is a hypothetical. This actually is going to make way more sense for our conversation specifically. The not hypothetical part is that someday you're going to die. And uh, that seems so obvious, but it's true and especially meaningful for our conversation. Someday you will die, right? And that's just a reality that all of us will face that. Uh, the hypothetical part is that I'm going to give you a eulogy. For some reason, they've asked me. And in that room are your family and your friends and all the people you've worked with and people that have bought your products and helped franchise this thing and just all the people that you've affected during your meaningful, long life. And they've asked me to give you a eulogy. What do you hope that I will say on that day? What do you hope that I'll speak about your life and legacy? It actually wouldn't be very long. I would honestly, and removing any air of cheesiness to the statement, I would honestly hope that, you know, in addition to if someone were to put in the sort of practical aspects, like she's this old, she was born on this day, she, you know, whatever typical things a person would want, I would really honestly hope that a person would just stand up there and say, in Courtney's lifetime, she really truly cared and loved and thought about human beings and who they were and and what they actually needed just very basically i would really love for the kind of final statement and sort of sum to be that i really cared for people in the way that they needed to be cared for again different one to the next and that i actually saw those needs and those wants in people and really tried to speak to those and be of service to those. Well, um, this has been incredibly fun. It really has. I'm, I'm excited that we were able to pull some fun out of a talk about death, but I love what you're building. I love how, I love how you came to think more deeply about these things and what you're committing your life to, um, or at least a portion of your life. I don't know. But, uh, yeah, thank you for doing what you're doing. And um, I look forward to continuing Yeah, to keep up with you. Before we leave, if people are interested in finding out more about what you do, who you are, how they can you know, get more involved, how they can at least learn more, where would you send people? Uh, social media handles, uh, websites? At Pahiki Caskets for Instagram. It's P-A-H-I-K-I Caskets. And then our website is pahikicaskets.com. And oh, one little last note. Pahiki in, in Hawaiian means to pass quietly, go lightly, and touch gently, which is what we're hoping our, our product and the emotional side will um, 
do and serve. I love that. I actually wanted to ask about that and we got talking and I never did. So thank you for sharing that. And please go follow them on Instagram. I love that account. Courtney does like time lapses and of them building some caskets and just different things that are a pretty consistent reminder of the brevity of life and our mortality and death and the cool things that Courtney and her team are doing. So go follow that account. Make sure you do that. And uh, Courtney, thank you so much for joining me today. Um, Really loved it. And I hope we get to keep in touch and do it again soon. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Friends, thanks so much for joining Courtney and me today. What an amazing human. I'm so pumped that you got to sit in on that conversation. You can find links, resources, and show notes for this conversation and all others. Plus, you can find other ways to join in on what we're doing by going to shownotes.letsgiveadam.com. Again, that's shownotes.letsgiveadam.com. If this content is adding value to your life in any way, my one big ask is that you go to Apple Podcasts right now and leave us a five-star review. It truly does help us a ton. And if you're still listening here all the way to the bitter end, I'm truly honored that you choose to spend time with me and my guests each and every week. It truly means the world to me. Not a week goes by where I don't get several notes, texts, emails, direct messages, etc., from you sharing how impactful these stories are for you in your life. So keep them coming and keep giving so many dams today, next week, next month, next year. Love you all. See you next time.